right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the New Nurse Podcast. I'm Nurse M, and I'm here today with a special guest. Nurse Meg's sweet self cannot be with us today. She is busy, amongst other things in her life, and we will be missing her. But we have a sweet little gal on the other side of the phone, and she is Dr. Melissa. She is in Togo, Africa, reporting live to us. So when this airs, it is right now when we're speaking, 10 a.m., um, in Eastern Standard Time in Pennsylvania, and about 2 p.m., a little after 2 p.m. in Mango Togo, not Mango, which I thought it was for a very long time. <laughs> so I had met Melissa. I was um, over there for about a month doing some medical missions with a dear friend of mine, Sarah, and had the privilege of meeting her and her family and a bunch of the other um, missionaries' families that are over there working in the hospital and on the grounds, and they were just such a blessing in my life. So when we were talking about narrative medicine this past month, I had instantly thought of her, and I reached out to her immediately, and she's like, well, it's not a term I'm too familiar with, but I said, well, that's okay, because you do it perfectly, and you don't even know what it is, and that's perfectly fine. So um, I wanted to bring her on, and she's sparing some of her time for us this morning, um, and I'm going to let her give her what I call an earthly resume, slightly, how she got to where she is with the Hospital of Hope, and what they're doing over there, a little glimpse of that. Hello, Dr. Melissa. Hey, it's a pleasure to be uh, with you today. Um, nursing has a, um, a, a deep meeting in our family. My mother is an RN, and after she retired after about 45 years, and I worked uh, for five years as an LPN, a licensed practical nurse um, in pediatrics, um, and my sister is also an LPN too. So um, thank you so much for um, what you guys do. And uh, it's yes, we are very blessed to have a number of nurses at our hospital both visiting from other um, countries and also a national staff as well. So, um, yes, thank you so much for all of your service to our patients. That's awesome. I didn't know. Very cool. So I, my husband, um, Ethan, uh, and I have been in Mongo, Togo for about eight years this year. We have four boys um, ages 8 to 15. And, um, and so we have been here working at the Hospital of Hope um, since uh, just before it opened. It opened in 2015, and then, um, and then it's been open now seven years. We have about close to 90,000 new patients that we've seen. Um, it's a primarily um, Muslim area. Um, uh, most of our, about 95% of our town um, uh, are Muslims. So right now, actually, it's Ramadan. So we are um, just in the throes of, of all of that. It touches every part of life here. Um, when you can go and buy things in market because people go into prayers more regularly during Ramadan. And so um, mm-hmm. the calls to prayer are just more more prominent. And uh, and so that is definitely affects most of our staff members at the hospital are Muslim as well. And mm-hmm. so um, they're, uh, yes, it's kind of an, a unique time. It's also unique, too, because it's been Easter. Um, so we've been able to live life side by side, celebrating different aspects of our religions and praying for mm-hmm. Um, openings to be able to speak to our colleagues and to our patients. Yes. And such a neat part about that hospital is the integration of both of those and how you guys work alongside each other so beautifully. It is. It's amazing how it works. And in this town, we're allowed to speak openly. We're an openly Christian hospital. We can speak openly of Jesus, but not that far north of us. Um, we are not actually allowed to go further north in one hour because the um, unrest in Burkina has become so much that it's a danger to ourselves and to those who are with us if we go further north in about an hour. Uh, and so, 
so yeah, so it's been, um, and so the more north you get, the more Muslim and more um, ardent becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a number of patients who come from Burkina for to our hospital for uh, for care, and uh, it's been uh, an unanticipated um, patient population for us. But as missionary organizations have left Burkina because of the unrest, um, there has been uh, fewer and fewer. Um, lights, but as people come down and visit us patients and become believers um, and then go back, um, it's been a huge opportunity to be able to impact on a country that is very closed. Isn't that so cool? And mm-hmm. if you don't know for our listeners, Togo, because I had to look it up before I went there, is Western. So surrounded yeah. by Ghana and then, am I pronouncing Benin right? Correct. Which is Correct. right next to Nigeria. And then Burkina is right above that. So people yes. are walking by foot. For gosh, days to get to you guys, right? Most they time. go by foot or they go by taxi. There's big taxi vans that come and uh, unload patients in front of our hospital. They come by motos. Um, they come by. They, they come from all. They, uh, we have a large Fulani population, which is a kind of a nomadic herdsman population um, in the millions, actually, in the unreached people group, uh, according to the Joshua Project. And they come through um, driving their cattle from Niger down to the coast, Ivory Coast. And they come through as well. So we have a very large Fulani population as well. And not that I had a favorite, but if I had a favorite and I had to learn a certain dialect or tribal language, it would have been Fulani when I was there. They really just, I don't know what it is about them, but they're just a special group to me. They are. They are like, uh, I call them my, my warrior princesses because they are just <laughs> majestic, stately, um, very kind people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you do a lot of the, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the mornings when these people are coming and the triage um, that goes on, are you a part of that, right, in the hospital? Correct. Correct. So at the front gate, we, um, we, own, we line people up in the morning times. And you might triage, there might be 120 new people that come in overnight since the last time you triaged. And then you have to, we can't see that many people. So you have to go through and see who is the sickest. And we give uh, priority to urgent people from wherever you're at and then children. But we don't turn anyone away based on ethnicity or ability to pay. Mm -hmm. Um, Government hospitals, you have to pay first before you're able to be seen. But here we are able, because of gifts from people in uh, in the States and uh, supporters of the hospital itself, um, and uh, in what patients are able to pay, we're able to um, take care of patient bills that um, our patients weren't able to pay. Right, right. I remember being told about payments of goats and goats, yes, cows and guinea fowl. <laughs> yes, we have a whole herd that goes out um, every day with a, one of our Fulani herdsmen, and uh, uh, all cows from patients who are unable to pay with cash, but they brought in a cow for us. Yes, it is such a blessing to see, honestly, the way you guys make that work and the work of the chaplains within the facility. Now, when I was in Togo, I really was only in the inpatient world. I saw glimpses, actually, when um, another physician up there that we were staying with thought I had um, typhoid, I believe. So I was in the clinic for that short amount of time where Dr. Melissa spends most of her time um, now, but I did spend most of my time in the inpatient world, so I didn't get to see too much of Dr. Melissa. But touch a little bit, if you don't mind, on that kind of spectrum of the clinic that you guys have versus the inpatient world. And then I know there's even that little dental office, so all the things yeah. that you have. Yeah, so we offer maternity services, surgical services, and general medical care. 
And we have a NICU, we have intensive care units, pediatric intensive care units, maternity. Um, and so we have actually become a referral center for our region. So we'll get um, accidents um, who come in. We'll get women who are referred for eclampsia, preeclampsia, children who come in with seizures and malaria and severe anemia with hematocrits um, in the single digit six, five, seven, mm-hmm. and seizing. And so we're the only blood bank really in our area. And again, we don't refuse based on the ability to pay. And so um, that is a huge, um, a huge draw for people as well. But it really, we see a, just a variety of pathology because people are so poor in this area that they wait until the very last minute to come in or to bring their children in. But we see, um, we see people um, in the clinic. We have usually three providers in the uh, medical clinic, maybe a couple in surgery clinic, and then our OB clinic is usually open as well. And then the inpatient are for those who are just the sickest of the sick. And you probably remember, too, we just the, uh, the turnover rate is so high, if you, uh, especially during the busy months, the malaria months. Yeah. Um, just trying to get kids in and out as much as you can because there's another kid waiting to take that bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of uh, is, is, is always, there's never a dull moment. There's rarely mm-hmm. a dull moment. Yeah. I'm sure. And I've been told miraculous stories about your work in the clinic and the inpatient world and um, from my friend Sarah and how just, I mean, and I've seen it firsthand with you guys and the physicians that are over there. When I was there, and I'm not sure if this still stands, a lot of the missionary families, now most of the nurses were Togolese and the other staff was in the hospital, which is such a cool thing, that transition. I know when you guys first started, a lot of people were from the States or New Zealand or Canada, correct? But it seems like that transition has happened pretty beautifully, where the Togolese are really taking over a lot of those positions, which is what you want, right? Yeah. Um, and then you guys as staff, as physicians or pharmacists or um, all of that, kind of ease into that world in and out. Um, and you'll be heading home in June, like you had said, with your family after being there for out of the out of your home, which was I'm sorry, where was your guys' home? We well northwest, the Seattle area, Idaho area is where we okay. came from. But okay. our hope is to be here for the next 20, 25 years. So uh, truly, this uh, this has become and our youngest, who's eight, has only spent about one year of his life outside of Togo. So really, he's white, but he's a Togolese in his heart. In his heart, Sarah Lloyd always said to me, "I have a black heart." An African yeah. heart. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to hard to take that out. Yes, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. And your progression of getting yourself and um, how Jesus kind of led you into this role and your family into this role. How did what did that look like? If you want to get a little glimpse of that. So both my husband and I. My husband has a background in business and marketing, and then he went to seminary and got his master's of divinity. And so he had kind of a business. He worked as a business manager for a seminary. We were both open to missions, but we weren't sure what that would look like. And truly, we went back to um, a missions, a candidate class to look and investigate what that might look like with ABWE mm-hmm. for as one mission organization's example. But we weren't, we didn't necessarily feel a call. And so we kind of struggled with that. Like, are you supposed to be called or do you like, you know, we've been trained, like you have this training, you're a pastor's heart and a business background, and I'm a doctor and, you know, we're. But where do we go? There's so many options. And so I think as we waited for this call that never came, we just decided we better do something. And so we just kind of looked at each other and said, we'll go. We heard of the need here. Um, It's a very unreached um, area. There were very few, if no, churches in the area. 
And um, and the hospital has been such a huge platform to be able to love people in such a tangible way. We'll be able to share freely of Jesus and um, and his love and the truth. And we that just that idea of what it could be was so appealing to us. And we said, why not? God hasn't shut the door. It's there. We don't feel a call, but maybe there's not supposed to be a call. We've been trained. We've we're open to it and no door has been shut. And so we just kind of moved forward. And um, as we neared the end of our first four-year term, I remember driving through um, the streets of Mongo as I was kind of greeting or saying goodbye to some people. And I looked around and at that moment I said, these are my people. And I was so thankful. I'd never been to Mongo prior to moving here on a permanent basis. And uh, (laughs) and so um, that confirmation that God gave me as we wrapped up our first term um, was huge where I just, you I, the community had become my own. Yeah. And I think that speaks on behalf of so many of our listeners. And I had talked briefly with uh, Dr. Melissa about this prior. A lot of our listeners expressed concerns with their discerning and where to step next and, um, you know, making our work our vocation. That's a big part of where to go next if you're a believer. And so hearing that piece of it, that you didn't necessarily feel this big push into this area, but after the fact, and, and from the outside looking in, it's very much so that you and your family it is a calling and you do it beautifully I remember driving in the golf cart and one piece that will forever stick in my head I think we were heading to the elephant elephant pond is that right uh, hippo, hippo pond I'm sorry yeah, hippo yeah. Pond. um and Dr. Melissa had said you know this I truly love what I do day in and day out and I will forever remember that because it just I know it impacted me so thanks for sharing that um and what did your you know what did that look like for you medically did you get your schooling in the States? And then how did that work? So I, I, I chose just the terrible background. I am an ambulatory internal medicine physician. So my <laughs> training was outpatient adult medicine. Okay. So I just, I'm not sure how that, that worked here. But uh, <laughs> because here when you're on service at the hospital, you're care, as a medical doctor, you're caring for um, preemie babies, 800 grams all the way to the end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, when we didn't have enough midwives, we were doing OB care, which um, I'd had six weeks in medical school. Um, but thankfully, we had pediatricians here, and they poured into me, and I learned from our midwife who was who came from the States, who's now gone now. But um, I learned from whoever would teach me, mm-hmm. um, and now I think um, I feel a little bit more comfortable. Although when they <laughs> hand me a 700-gram baby, I still... <laughs> Still, buddy, if you ever still feel uneasy in your clinical practice, it's okay that you're not alone, and, and we're always learning new things. And and, and honestly, it's so. Um, I think here, and I practiced for a few years in the states, and here, um, the self, I become self reliant in the states. But when here, when you're stretched, there are no specialists. Um, you are just faced with uncertainty in your own frailness and um, and your lack of. Uh, capabilities on such a frequent basis that it just drives you to your knees and um, and you um, you pray I pray a lot more here um, God mm-hmm. well also sometimes we um, we've had water shortages and sometimes the big generator goes off and we mm-hmm. don't have power from town so sometimes you walk into the hospital and you're like God today we need water the water mm-hmm. stock is going to be done by noon they tell me so I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing how you're going to provide today <laughs> And I love how you mentioned the power of prayer because I also felt like I remember a few times, gosh, I have I hadn't worked with babies prior to going to Togo either and very quickly immersed in that world. And let me tell you, the adult world does not do forehead IVs. So that was something that my friend had really quickly been like, listen, 
you just say a really, really deep prayer to Jesus beforehand and hope you hit the vein in the forehead. Yes. As you know, and all the more that with your learning of, you know, the people that were put in your life directly to learn the world of pediatrics and all of that, like all the more to be surrendered and, and thank you, Jesus, for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Amen. Awesome. And so the other thing that, um, you know, we had been talking about narrative medicine this month and and how that storytelling of patients directly affects not only, you know, we talked a little bit about in our prior podcasts, there had been actual studies that showed patients who were in the process of having narrative medicine incorporated in those practices and the um, appointments that they were going to, they reported less chronic pain or less acute pain. And the physicians in turn then reported that they had less emotional exhaustion and burnout incorporating medicine, which is basically just this gist of storytelling, right? And how we are letting patients fully express what they're going through. And then we as providers are able to pick out these important pieces and diagnose and treat from their storytelling. So in a world where you're so um, pulled out from city life and there's so many different languages coming upon you and your world and all the different um, translators that you guys use over there and how special those relationships are to you. How do you see yourself um, or how does that work basically? How What does everyday life look like for you with the language barrier? Um, if you can touch a little bit on that. I think um, for, for narrative medicine, I think it's in some ways easier to practice here because it's so different from my culture, my home culture. And so um, in the clinic, we have translators assigned to every room on a, on a daily basis. Uh, we have five very common languages that are spoken um, every day. And then we have probably another four or five um, during the day that might be spoken here and there. So in the course of a day, you might have encounter 10 different languages, 10 different people groups. Mm-hmm. But five of them are the, are the most prominent. And, and what are one, those five, Dr. Melissa? So it's Hopolde, the Fulani language. Mosi language is called More. The Anafo uh, is the language of the Chikosi in our town. And uh, there's Moba and Gangam as well. And each tribe has the Chikosi historically enslaved the Mobas. The slave traders would come and pay the Chikosi with guns to go capture the Moba. So, and then the Gangam and the Chikosi have had tribal warfare. And so even to this day, mm-hmm. there will still be flare-ups. And there'll be tribal wars every now and then. And so just knowing too, who am I asking to trans who am I asking to translate? There's 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 fires that run that run not too far behind us, yeah. Yeah. And then the Fulani are considered like the gypsies of West Africa. Nobody likes the Fulani. They um if something goes missing, the Fulani took it. If your sheep if something is wrong, the Fulani did it. And so you have these like underlying cultural things that you stumble into sometimes. Right, right. But I think here is a little bit easier because um, because I feel like I, I continually feel a bit like an outsider, like I'm always learning. And so I think it's so important and uh, to be able to understand what that person is bringing into that conversation. What is their religion? Um, honestly, like that. Um, my question for a diabetic patient, are you doing Karem? Karem is like the month-long fast for Ramadan, mm-hmm. in which case you need to switch your morning insulin and your nightly insulin because you don't eat during the day. You eat all night. And so I'm going to kill somebody by giving them a, a big whopping dose of insulin in the morning, and then they don't eat until 8 o'clock at night. Right. And so you have, you know, like, do you, are you going to do Karem this year? Um, what, uh, the, even the approach to death, like, you know, what, what does this mean to you? I think it, there's a such religion here brings so much into, um, into that, that conversation. Yeah, their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. a big piece of it. Interesting. Yeah. Any other things that you have on your heart that are heavy that you wanted to share with us that you're thinking about? I, I am so, like I mentioned on the way out to Biblical that day, I just, I, this is, I have the, the perfect job, even on the days that are hard, the days where you lose um, four patients. And there's a book, um, I and actually a visiting nurse, I don't know, did you ever cross paths with Melissa Jenkins? Sarah would know I don't her. Know I did. I did. I came back to teach. We have a nursing school here that we're training another, um, another um a uh, group of nurses, she came out to teach and she handed me a book and she's like, do you, have you read this book? I said, actually, the writer of that book, the author came out here as a pastor of a church in, um, uh, in the United States. It's called, um, uh, uh, oh, I'm going to see, is Mark Rogoff is, is the, as the pastor, um, Dark Clouds, um, Deep Mercy. Okay. We and, love her in the podcast. So this is great. We're yes, gonna, Meg and I are both going to be reading this now. Yeah, so it is the, um, it's about the grace of lament. Okay. And this, in, as cause sometimes you can lose one or two patients a shift that's not uncommon, three, four, up to six. Well, I think one of, mm-hmm. one of our providers lost six patients in one 12-hour shift. Mm-hmm. And that during malaria season, it can just be relentless. And I know in the United States, you guys have faced COVID and isolation mm-hmm. and things that we have not, but that just led to a lot of just... I don't know, maybe questioning God, God, where are you in this? And the ability, God has given us that grace of lament, of being able to say, God, I don't agree. God, where are you? God, please, please show yourself. But also going back to, God, I know who you are. You are good. You are good. You're gracious. You're just, you're holy, and I will trust. And so I think for me, being able to sustain life here where there's so much brokenness and so much suffering, and there are no safety nets here. Um, we have children starving to death, um, even in our community, and children who are not brought into the last minute because the family has nothing. Mm-hmm. And when you just are faced with that relentless suffering and loss of life, I think it can be easy to just dry up and become bitter. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe from what I've been hearing in the States that there's, it's been a really tough couple of years as well. And so that ability to lament, um, to be able to work through suffering and pain in a way mm-hmm. that brings you closer to God, I think yeah. has been something that sustains me here. And I pray it sustains you um, on the other side of the world. Oh, that just gives me chills. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, no, that, that was hit spot on. Awesome. Well, guys, our time is running close here. Um, we won't take you too long, whether you're driving to work or coming home from work. Um, just know that we're so happy that you spent the time with us these 22, 23 minutes. Um, Dr. Melissa, do you mind if I ask you to close us out in prayer for our listeners? Now, if you're driving, don't close your eyes, please. But we want to pray over you as we end our time here together. God, thank you so much for who you are. You are wise, good, gracious, just, and holy God. God, you are someone who um, not only are all of those attributes, but you are a personal God and you desire to have a relationship with us uh, so much so that you provided a way to bring us back to yourself. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for giving us the work in front of us. God, um, as we go about our daily tasks, um, please, Lord, be our enough. Give us what we need for each moment. We trust you for it. Thank you so much for the privilege it is to be able to serve you. 
God, help us to love others um, as you would. Help us to see them through your eyes, no matter where we are in this world. God, um, we're so thankful we can rely on you. And one day, Lord, at the end of this, we will be able to worship together around your throne. There'll be no more brokenness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more babies lost before um, their lives are, are fulfilled. And God, we will be able to worship um, together, uh, one tongue um, all nations together. And Lord, we just ask for that day to come, for that day to come quickly, but Lord, not yet. There are those who are coming to Christ even today. And so we ask that you tarry just a bit, but Lord, come quickly. We look forward to that day. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And I can't say, you know, none of us know exactly what heaven will be like, but one of the images that I have in my head is similar to, to Mango Togo. So um, just the diversity and the beautifulness and, and just everyone and how they work together and and just love Jesus. Yeah. So thank you so much for the time with us. And also, before we go, I had seen a Facebook post because I follow everything. Um, so this little tiny area of Mongo and this group of awesome people that have left their, um, whether stateside or Canada, New Zealand homes to go to this little place in Africa um, and serve Jesus have now started up a Christian school. Yes. Yes. School and the radio um, is forecasting that a lot of the um, villagers and, and Togolese will listen to. And I think, I don't know how widespread that um, broadcast is. It's our whole region because it's so flat here. It goes for quite a ways. Okay. And I could spend another 20 minutes telling you stories of people oh. who have heard the, 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 the radio and have come to Christ. Um, and the school, um, our Muslim employees and our Muslim um, uh, friends in our town are sending mm -hmm. their children to the Bon Berger, the Good Shepherd School, because of the quality education, and they are hearing about Jesus. And I have loved the pictures that have been posted online. So you guys can all, I'll have to link in the show notes how you guys can follow along with their story here. Not only do they have the hospital, but they have these awesome other um, things that Jesus is working in their lives. And I just wanted to mention, if anyone is listening and feeling so called, um, or maybe not called, maybe. Maybe you're like the Mulsey family and you're just like kind of curious and you have the thing you need to do something like this. Um, there is ways to get and help out. I know the need for nurses is pretty strong right now. If I'm yeah, for sure. Yes. Okay. So if you're feeling, you know, like feel free first off to reach out to me um, and I can get a hold of the right people to try and get you there. Um, ABWE is the association that Dr. Melissa had mentioned prior, the Association of Baptists um, for World Evangelism. Yes, but also we work well with Samaritan's Purse and World yeah. Medical Mission. Yes. That's usually how our nurses come out with and our short-term doctors come out with us through them. Beautiful. So those are two awesome organizations. And a quick Google search on well, on Google, could tell you those links to those two organizations and how to move a little step forward in that direction. So we'll be praying for that for you guys and for the listeners as well. So, Dr. Melissa, thank you so, so much for spending time with us. You're such a treasure, so I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, have a great rest of your day. Same to you. Thank you.